always feels somewhat daunting to begin a Dharma talk. I think in part because one recognizes how hard it is to do justice to the Buddhist teaching. So um, I'll share what I can. I, I um, feel very inspired when I return myself to reflect on some of the core templates that the Buddha left and that were passed down through thousands of years and enable us to reflect on these ancient maps and breathe life into them through our own practice. It feels an honor, but it, as I said, it also feels somewhat daunting. So, uh, but one thing I do feel very uh, confident about or very good about is the um, opportunity to practice together with everyone here at IMS. Uh, since Kitty Saro and I arrived here yesterday or the day before yesterday, it's the first time we've taught here and we've just been very struck and very impressed by the, the you know, just the different dimensions of IMS, both the, the incredible organizational complexity of the place and the, and the dedication of those that are helping to run the center and have over many, many years, decades now, 30 odd years to keep this place going. That's, that's a contribution of an enormous amount of dedication and care and <coughs> practice energy. And that really is visible when one comes into this environment and then sitting in this hall, immediately one sits here, one can sense the practice that has gone on before. There's a tremendous quality of depth and stillness here, even if the mind is a bit restless or you know, we're working with our stuff. But nevertheless, uh, one can tune into a, a sense of samadhi or gatheredness. And even before, IMS was here, this was a, a building, a land that was dedicated in some way or another to, to the cultivation of the spirit, the heart. And so it's, it's beautiful. Um, so I'm just acknowledging what's gone before and what enables us to, carries us as well, enables us to, to practice. We draw on that, we, we, that nourishes us, whether it's conscious to us or not. The efforts of what's gone before help support our retreat. And likewise, what we do uh, here in this retreat, although it's a small contribution, and perhaps for many of us, if we look into our internal world, we can feel like we're a bit of a mess or <laughs> we struggle away or feel that we're not doing very well. Uh, however, I, I think we shouldn't underestimate that actually in the world as it is and in the many ways that we could be using our time and our energy and our resources to bring ourselves into this kind of situation to, for the cultivation of these indriyas that we've been contemplating, cultivation of enlightenment factors to awaken us, to bring us into more consciousness. This is a contribution that we will leave for others. So it's, uh, you know, we should feel good about that today. Our practice here is also an offering and will support in some way others that come after us. So retreats aren't easy. They're, they're challenging even after 
many years of doing retreats, either facilitating them or sitting on them, um, I still find that the being, meeting one's, the, the momentum, the karmic momentum of one's life, uh, without much distraction, is challenging, but it's also something of a relief to actually just stop and just be with whatever, however it is, you know, it's, it feels something of a relief. So I'm glad that we can do this practice together. Tonight I'd like to reflect a little more, give us a little bit more of a framework for the template that we're working within. We chose to focus on the, the template of the five indriyas, these spiritual faculties that are innate within the mind, within the heart, but not necessarily fully developed. They're innate to us. We can recognize the seeds of them. Some are perhaps stronger than others, but when they come into balance and when they're fully developed, as the the Buddha said, as the, made an analogy, as the great Ganges slopes to the east slopes and merges with the great ocean, and so these five indriyas, when they're fully cultivated and ripen, they ripen and unfold into the realization of, of Nibbana, or inner peace, inner freedom, inner liberation. So the fruits of these, these uh, indriyas are, are, are very worth tasting. So within this practice, rather than focus too much on the fruits and then set ourselves up for a sense of uh, being disheartened or a sense of failure, if we focus too much on the fruit and not on the practice, then, then we can get uh, disheartened sometimes when we don't experience that fruit immediately. Uh, and so one of the teachings that the Buddha gave that I like to contemplate a lot, which I find very helpful, uh, which in Pali, it goes, the, 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 uh, this line from the sutta goes, Magahatikilesawa patunu patitamatang, which means, Magahatikilesawa uh, means the, the path, uh, the maga, the path, hata means to, to break up, kilesa, that which obstructs. So path activity breaks up that which obstructs the realization of inner freedom, inner peace, the spaciousness of the innate heart. Patu upati tamatang, the fruits, the patu of the of the path. Upati means to arise according to the tamatang, according to the law of Dhamma. So this this cultivation of the path in and of itself gives rise to the fruit. We don't in a way have to worry about the fruition of the practice. That arises according to the law of Dhamma. In other words, it's beyond our control. It's not something we can willfully bring about. We can't grow the fruit. The fruit unfolds, ripens according to its own nature. But what we can do is quicken the arising of that fruit, the fruition. And so we do that by applying moments of path activity. That's where we can work is interacting with 
the flow of our karma, the flow of our life, the flow of consciousness, flow of our experience with these moments of path activity. And as they strengthen, as in the uh, five Indriyas, then they, f- they come into fruition. That, that path act- activity in and of itself begins to bring about the fruit. We don't have to worry about that so much. So in this regard, we, the, the path activity that we're practicing is the application of these five Indriyas. In the time of the Buddha, he used words that were familiar to the culture around him, and then he just redefined words or concepts that would have been understood. So the, the word Indriya comes from the, the, the word Indra, Indra, sorry, Indra, which was the, the god Indra, which would have been familiar to the culture around him. Indra was the the head god of the one of the heavenly realms, the Tawatinsa heaven. I can't really comment too much about <laughs> that particular realm or what goes on there. It's outside the sphere of my experience. But uh, there, you know, this people would have understood that Indra was a, a, a god that was associated, in particular, with the with the energy of power, with the energy of strength. Indra was the god of that which was a, had the, the connotation of a controlling principle, that which could guide. And so this word indriya is connected with that sense of strength or power or that which guides or controls uh, and brings to bear this the, these, uh, capacity to cultivate this fruiting, fruition, this fruition of nibbana. Five Indriyas, uh, the um, five Indriyas that we've been contemplating, just to go through them again and to go through some of their aspects so we can get a, a cognitive framework for them, which is helpful. The first one, again, being sattha, or faith, confidence, the sense of potentiality that we have. The second one being virya, which means effort or energy it's connected more with the sense of a balanced energy of application bringing our effort into to balance using effort right effort harmonious effort the third one is sati which is usually translated as mindfulness we could also translate it maybe as bodyfulness or heartfulness bringing the fullness of awareness into mind, heart, body. Sometimes mindfulness can sound overly uh, clinical, like a a technique, a method, but actually it's it's a very deep embodying practice where we bring awareness and gather in all the aspects of our being into awareness and bring awareness deeply into the body, into the heart, into the mind, into all aspects of our being, illuminating the moment through the power of awareness and attention. This is the middle aspect of the indriyas, the, the balancing act aspect, the illuminating aspect, the sati, the mindfulness gathering, clear comprehension. And then as moments of mindfulness increase, the fourth 
Indriya is samadhi, which is usually translated as concentration. Um, and in some ways that's perhaps a reductionist translation. I think one gets a more fuller feeling for samadhi when we think of it as a gathering. And so as there's moments of attention, moments of attention to how it is here and now, then, the, then, then gently, kindly, slowly, patiently, the energies of heart, mind, and body gather into this awareness unifying. So there's a sense of deep ease and deep presence, deep rootedness here and now, and a tendency to, to run out looking for things or to long for what's not here or to be overwhelmed uh, by what arises, the, the obstructions that arise. That begins to diminish and what we get a sense is, uh, get more of a sense of fullness of being sense of wellness, of integration. This quality of samadhi I've heard translated more recently by some of my monastic teachers as the healing aspect of the path, that which heals as we cultivate meditation, moments of mindfulness, then there's a certain kind of healing that happens through this gathering of our energy. And then the last of the indriyas, the fifth one, is panya in Pali or prajna in Sanskrit, the liberating wisdom, the direct knowing or knowledge, unshakable knowing of the heart, the knowledge before knowing of things, the, the pure knowing, that which can discern, that which can know, know intuitively, directly, the nature of reality. It's no longer deluded, no longer seduced uh, by the temporal changing nature of experience, but is deeply rooted in its own wisdom, in its own fullness. So these, these five indriyas, faith, energy, mindfulness, gatheredness, wisdom, these are the qualities of path that little by little drip by drip, we cultivate, we can cultivate and bring to their fullness, to their ripening. And then from that, allowing, according to the Dhamma, according to its own nature, as we would allow a fruit on the tree to grow and to ripen according to its own nature, mysteriously, the, the, the liberation of the heart, the clarification clarity, the awakening of compassion, the fruits of the path become embodied, become something we taste directly, something we know directly, something we can live directly. But our work is not so much, as I was saying, to, to fantasize about the fruit or to imagine it or to become inflated by our ideal of it, project it to ourselves or, or deny ourselves, feeling, feel that we could never be worthy of such a fruit <laughs> um, because we all really know secretly what a hopeless case one is. <laughs> Our job is to really just to, with faith, with confidence, to do the practice little by little as best we can and let the rest take care of itself. And you know, for that, I'm, I'm grateful we have a Sangha here together. We can support each other because it is challenging to do that practice. 
even though essentially it's quite simple. It's not easy. It's not simple, but not necessarily that easy. So to appreciate each other in our, how we're supporting each other and cultivating this way. I'd like to uh, talk about how each of these indriyas are necessary to uh, create a necessary balance to each other. Each of them balance each other. The, the so if I can just lay that out a little bit. Each of the indriyas has four aspects, and each of them balance each other. So, um, I think it might be good just to name the four. You know, so this is a this is a, a large territory. Uh, just maybe we would like to name the four aspects of the indriyas, just for those of you that like maps. <laughs> Um, I quite like maps. I, I find them hard to remember. There's so many of them in Buddhist, uh, Buddhist world, so many different maps. Uh, so just, you know, in the naming of them, just to hold that lightly, not to worry about having to memorize the, the map so much, although it's good to refer to. And to see that although one can only speak in a linear way, A, B, C, D, E, F, in fact, really, these maps are like holograms. We're, we're, they're, they're, they're interpenetrating each of these indriyas, each of these faculties that depend on each other, balance each other, are interconnected with each other. So if we mention one, we're really touching on all of them. You know, though, though we could pull out a little piece of one and, and highlight it and illuminate it. Uh, un- uncover it uh, and explore it. In fact, you know, we understand that if we talk about uh, mindfulness, we can't not talk about gathering samadhi. Uh, if we talk about getting still and gathered, we can't talk about clear seeing. You know, they- they're all interconnected. So classically, the four aspects with each indriya, the the first uh, aspect of sada or faith or confidence is connected with the kind of faith that arises through what's called stream entry, which is a, a term that sometimes creates a certain amount of kerfuffle around itself. Um, but it, it, it has the... the it has the idea of knowing for oneself the Dhamma. It has this sense of really, however knocked around one might be by obstructions, one knows how to practice, one knows how to return to the path, one has a certain opening of the inner eye, so to speak, and recognizes the, the Dhamma. The qualities of stream entry or the four qualities that are associated. There are different, many different qualities, but four of the qualities that in this first indriya that are associated with stream entry are faith or confidence in the Buddha, is the first quality in the Dhamma, in the Sangha, and then the fourth quality is faith or confidence in integrity or virtue. So I find this helpful to contemplate, but we can come back to that. So that's the four 
aspects of, of sadha, of faith, in the Buddhist map. You might talk about that in different ways in other maps and other spiritual paths. The four aspects connected with virya or effort is the four great efforts. The effort to uh, avoid unwholesome action, the effort to overcome tendencies that are unwholesome that have already arisen, the effort to cultivate wholesome action, body, speech, and mind, and the effort to maintain wholesome action, body, speech, and mind, or intention that has already arisen. And these four great streams of effort are, again, in some ways, a lifetime's work. Um, So these are the four general areas of effort, and there's sort of subcategories of what's called right effort, or balanced effort, or skill in how to apply effort. Then the four aspects connected with the middle indriya, sati, or mindfulness, is the four foundations of mindfulness, bringing presence to bear upon first foundation, body and breath, which we've been practicing today. Second uh, foundation of, of what's called vedana, uh, sensation, feeling tone. Uh, the third foundation of jitta or heart or mind, the, the mood, the state, whether we feel expansive, contracted, sleepy, dull. And then the fourth contemplation mind states, whether the mind is tinged by an obstruction, a hindrance, or affected by a quality, enlightenment quality, joy or equanimity and so on. Being able to basically all that we can observe or bring attention to categorizing these four foundations. And then the the, the four aspects connected with the um, the fourth indriya samadhi are the four jhana factors. Again, the word jhana is another word that has a lot of kerfuffle around it. What, what they are and who has them and what do they mean exactly. But I quite like the way Ajahn Chah talked about jhana. He just basically said, well, it means being peaceful, a little more peaceful a little more peaceful and very peaceful. <laughs> he tended to bring things to a very simple level. So, you know, uh, it basically just sort of means when, when you know, and we all have perhaps a little taste of that, when, when the, 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 the mind or the jita or the heart is absorbed into its own nature, it's not, there's not the sense of running out after things, when there's a sense of real, you know, those moments when you feel sense of uh, real infusion within the body, mind, heart process of, of awareness, of steadiness, fullness. Um, there's a sort of repleteness almost. Subtle sense of infusion of, of, of chi or, 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 sorry, I shouldn't maybe confuse you with that word, but of, of this, the breath energy, the sense of just the fullness of being, completeness, absorption. So 
So if an ice cream van comes along and tinkles its bell and lets you know there's an ice cream on offer, you're not that interested. You're happy just to be. There's the, the, the Buddha called these the taste of samadhi, the taste of these jhana factors. There is higher than any sensual experience. That, you know, there's the, the experiences we can have in the senses can be very pleasurable, but there's nothing like the, the inner fullness and taste of, of samadhi, of, of this, this growing sense of inner peace that can emerge uh, when the body, mind and heart are integrated within awareness. Not like my first meditation after I did, did my first meditation retreat, which was focused very much on getting concentrated. I was a student at the time, and I, I came back to the student lodging, and I was sitting there, set up my practice place. And actually, an ice cream van, I don't know if you have them here in the States, but in, in England, you have these ice cream vans. <laughs> came down the road, and he set his little kind of thing going. And the next thing I found myself running out and telling him would he mind getting lost because he was disturbing my meditation. And he looked terribly shocked. And I sat down back on my meditation cushion and thought, well, I, I must have missed something here. I must have got something wrong. So it's, you know, it's... Uh... Anyway, so the, 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 the four factors then of samadhi are the four jhana factors, and then the four factors of, of the last indriya, uh, panya, or wisdom, prajna, is the contemplation of the Four Noble Truths, which hopefully will, in the way that real heart, real heart of the Buddha's teaching, that, that such a, the royal road, once we really have a way of contemplating the Four Noble Truths, opens the royal road of awakening. All of these open the royal road of awakening. So these Indriyas balance each other, so just to reflect a little about that, because in some ways all of these teachings, all of these manifold Buddhist teachings, are really to bring us into a, a place of balance. They're not ultimately, in and of themselves, ultimate dharmas, meaning that the Buddhist teaching was very relative. There's nothing about the Buddhist teaching you can say this is exactly how it is. In this, capsulated in this teaching, um, it's always changing, it's always suffering. This is how it is. These are teachings that we reflect on to bring us into balance. So that these indriyas are, you, know, you can't say, well, it's just about effort, or it's just about mindfulness, or it's just about wisdom. They're, they're about being used together so that then it, when one's in, in balance and in harmony, then one's not dependent so much on external teachings because one is then deeply rooted in the presence, in the present, and uh, the Dharma from there then unfolds and we illum- it illuminates itself to us. Life illuminates itself to us and we can reflect on life. And it's teaching us. So this first faculty of faith is balanced by the last faculty of wisdom, discernment, wisdom. Very much faith, faith 
in terms of the classical definition, faith or confidence, as we've been reflecting confidence on this, this first aspect of the Buddha, second aspect, the Dhamma, the third aspect, Sangha, the fourth aspect, integrity, virtue. Having faith in these qualities, how do we understand that? How is that pertinent to us? Does it mean that I have to have faith in a historical Buddha that whose teachings he may or may not have said exactly what's in in the books? I, I don't, you know, it's kind of hard to exactly know. Did the Buddha really say what we get to read in the books now? Um, maybe it's an approximation. If we overly rely on the external, then we don't really know how to deeply trust our own capacity for confidence. So at a certain point, this external map can help us, but at a certain point, there's this need to begin to turn inwards and to really explore where do we hold faith? What, what do we trust? Do we trust our thoughts? Do we trust what other people say? How do we, how do we hold trust? What, where do we know, to, you know, by what do we set our compass? So in this, this regard, I find it very helpful that in, in a certain way, at its perhaps most profound level, there's an aspect of faith, which is in a way like faith to life. It's a sort of more and more willingness to unconditionally open to life itself. You know, to Whether we like it or we, dis, we dislike what's happening, whether we agree or not, but it's this, this, this as we become more rooted and present and trusting, we can begin to trust the very act of opening to life, opening to the flow of life, opening in the meditation to the flow of actually what's happening, the breath, the body sensation, the movement of the felt sense, feeling tone, mental impression. But as we do that, uh, what helps to ground us, this, this in, internalized Buddha, is not so much the historical Buddha, which we can be inspired by, but this internalized Buddha is that which is knowing, which is present. So it gives a real rooting from which we can then open to life. We can know life. We can be deeply in life from this place of pure knowing, pure presence, pure awareness. And the more deeply I, I can enter that, the more deeply I can really rest in the, the knowing of how it is in each moment and opening to how it is to reflect on how it is, then the more deeply I can actually bring my heart into life. I can actually be touched by life. I can actually be impacted by life and all that is offered, all that comes to me. And we can begin to, when we're rooted in this inner presence, this awareness, this knowing, moment by moment, we begin to realize that the Dharma, the second aspect of faith, at one point we could say, oh, the Dharma is the teachings, teachings on loving kindness, teachings on mindfulness, etc., etc. But more immediately, even if we don't have 
teachings, we can say the Dharma is everything that's unfolding here and now. The Dharma is constantly, as we chant in the morning, the Dharma is always present, it's always unfolding. The pain in the knee is a Dharma. (laughs) We don't like it, but it's teaching us. The fact that we can't control our mind and it's obsessing about something is Dharma. The fact that I feel fear or anxiety is a dhamma. It's, it's a, an aspect of nature. The fact that the weather pattern is as it is. You know, everything is unfolding. And if we don't have the faith to open to that, then we can't really deeply contemplate the nature of dhamma. We're filtering it through our perceptions, through our views, through our ideas of how it should be. I shouldn't have this pain in the knee. I shouldn't be so sleepy. I should be more whatever. And so we filter our experience through these internal uh, ideas. But as we become more and more present, more and more trusting in just the knowing, then we can really open and reflect, okay, this is how it is now. What is this teaching? This is a Dhamma. Maybe it's teaching me it's changing. That's one thing it's teaching me. It's teaching me there's dukkha, there's some suffering, there's some unsatisfactoriness. Um, It's teaching me that I don't like it like it is. (laughs) Uh, What's that? So so as we open in that way, then then this third aspect of sata comes into play. Externally, it's the sense of sangha. As I was talking about earlier, the sense of us as a community, working together, holding this space together, sangha through time and space that's on this current of practice and awakening that we feed from, that we contribute to and to, that others benefit from. But even if we don't have anyone around us, this subtle aspect of sangha is the capacity to practice, to align ourselves with this Buddha awareness in every moment, even if I wake up first thing in the morning and I feel, you know, in that dream state, dull and sort of in those half twilight zones and the unconscious feeling tone comes up and feel a bit depressed or lost or dull or not sure, then taking refuge in Sangha, I can begin to align, practice. Can I just bring presence to that? That's all. It's very simple, just breathe with that, just open to that experience, just welcome what's present, contemplate it. It's the Dhamma unfolding, perhaps not very pleasant, but it's something I can contemplate. The one that enters the stream, this one that uh, has a real intuitive, knowing of how to practice in whatever circumstances arise. It's not dependent on life being a certain way. It's not dependent on us controlling life, getting everyone lined up, looking right, according to what we think should be as it is. We can't do that, but it's the recognition that in any situation there's the potential to practice. There's the knowing how to practice, how to bring awareness, how to bring presence, how to, to activate this, the buddhic knowing, that which knows, that which is present to, that which is aware. 
to the Dhamma, to the flow, to the change, to the uncertainty, to the insubstantiality, to the ephemeral nature, to the dreamlike nature. And then as there's a deepening into that knowledge, a trusting, it's not knowing things that we collect on shelves, but it's an alive awareness has intelligence in it. It's an alive knowing, it's only ever present as there's a deepening into that and a trusting in that. And this fourth aspect of the aspect of faith, of the Sotapanna or stream entry, is this, is this real alignment with fundamental integrity. Yeah, and that's, I've begun to realize in life that is something that cannot, so many things can be taken away from one, one's loved ones, one's reputation, so many difficult things can happen around one, one can be blamed for things you didn't do, one can be betrayed seemingly unfairly, um, there can be so many difficult things, but one thing that, that one can always bring to play in any situation is a quality of integrity, quality of really discerning. And this is where the, the balance of the fifth indriya, the wisdom, supports, comes in to support the, the willingness, the faith is the willingness to open, to contemplate, to be in life deepening our commitment to just, in a way, work through the human journey, wherever it takes us, however that unfolds, the faith to that, the faith to our own life as a vehicle of Dhamma, and then balanced by this beautiful quality of, of wisdom, of discernment, really seeing the nature of things, seeing, contemplating, discerning, like discerning with integrity, what is the right action, what is the right speech, what is the right response. It's not always hard, to, it's not always easy to know, and often one gets it wrong, but with that sense of integrity, if one's under pressure, um, then, you know, to, to act out of a state, of, out of a place of, um, act unskillfully, then one will know that, one will recognize that, and won't be so seduced or tempted into an action of body, speech, or mind that would have consequences that are suffering for ourselves or others. That doesn't mean, mean to say, you know, with this this opening of the Dhamma eye or this seeing, this deepening into the trust of the refuges that goes hand in hand with, the, with this uh, entering, what's called entering the stream, tasting the Dhamma, doesn't mean to say that one is released from, the, from greed or from uh, aversion, Hate, the possibility for hatred, all of those hindrances, all of those obstructions can still arise, but one knows how to practice. One knows how to practice with them. One knows how to hold integrity in the face of. Even if one loses the plot and gets overwhelmed, one knows how to return. One knows how to return uh, to the moment, to bring awareness, to realign with that, that, that presence, with that mindfulness. So this discernment, this you know, if we just open to life 
with faith and have no discernment, then, then we can just really get washed around. We don't know how to apply integrity. There's no inner ethics being cultivated. There's no perhaps understanding. We, we just sort of open and we might just get completely washed away. Or we don't know how to discern which is a good way to be, which is what is, what, how wisdom can inform faith. When, we, when wisdom is operating in this, this sense of inner discernment, inner intelligence. Uh, knowingness, knowing, you know, you can trust that, trust that. Too much discernment without faith. Sometimes when, when there's a lot of emphasis in meditation practice on, and there is a lot of emphasis sometimes on discernment. We discern this is changing. This is empty. This is, there can be a sort of abdication almost from human life. There can be a sense of, well, it's because it's all changing, because it's, it's dukkha, meaning it has innate unsatisfactoriness. Life is impermanent, well, therefore we won't go near it. <laughs> Well, sort of transcend it all, um, you know. So sometimes one can be very, very discerning, but somehow divorce oneself. It's true, but perhaps a certain divorce. Uh, there can be a, a sort of a dislocation from our commitment to the human journey, which without which we actually don't get the qualities of heart. We don't get the full integration. We don't, you know. It's hard then to move through the world. We don't know how to trust our inner integrity to be out there in the, in the storms of the world and then still be able to be aligned with the, the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, whichever circumstance, whichever place. Just faith and we can just wash, you know, faith to any old thing. Just discernment, wisdom without trust. Uh, we can, if we're not careful, become too cool or a kind of a premature transcendence that leaves us abdicating from human compassionate response. So these two, the, then the, the, the quality of faith, confidence, willingness to, to open to, to trust, to explore, to align. Quality of faith, willingness to trust, balance with wisdom. And then as we move inwards, those are the two outer wings, the, the faith, the discernment, wisdom, that balance, we can begin, we will touch into these again. Just trying to lay out some of the territory and as we move towards the core of the five injuries, we move then to the, the, the quality of effort and samadhi, both dependent upon each other. If there's too much, you know, there's a, a lot of encouragement in terms of effort, making effort, you know, just for us to sit here, to bring ourselves to the hall, to get out of bed in the morning, to try and figure out what to say in a Dhamma talk, to sit there for an hour sitting, whatever it is, to do the qigong, what, whatever we've been doing today, it does take a certain kind of application, a certain effort. 
but if there's no samadhi, no gatheredness, then the efforting lacks a sense of ease or it lacks a sense of the effort being rooted in a deeper quality of presence. There's always the sense of the effort being too much connected with the goal of getting there. And so then, then it's easier to, f- to find the efforts that we make stress us out. So this, this, this is a very large area to explore. What is the quality of energy? What's the quality of effort that we bring to the moments of our existence? And um, for many of us, myself included, we have very uh, often quite unconscious patterns around our energy. Uh, to, to go out there and do stuff in the world, often we have to, to really drive ourselves uh, and then override how tired we might actually feel or how much energy we don't have to do what we, we're trying to get done. And then we can then go into a kind of collapsed type of energy. And so I find, you know, sometimes for myself, it's, it's very easy to have a pattern of drivenness and collapse. <laughs> to get out there and throw down a cup of coffee or tea if one's beginning to flag and get through the day. And then at the end, you just kind of go unconscious. So in a meditation retreat, some of those patterns that are very deep will we'll be operating. And then when we come and sit here, we just suddenly realize, God, I feel, you know, we, we start to actually get in touch with where our energy actually is, where our effort actually is. And we might feel, realize we're actually we're quite tired or, or we're very restless. The energy's not balanced. It's it's very it's 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 restless or it's it's kind of tight, or we just when we close our eyes, we just used to that being a sign to collapse. So this is a this is a delicate thing to explore. What is it like to have balanced energy when we're not being too driven, when we're not collapsing? But we can just feel into our energy body when there's more sense of of balance. So this. This, the feeling of energy imbalance, effort imbalance, brings us, can bring a sense of fullness, aliveness, virya, the word connected with the vitality. Uh, we need our vitality, need our energy to meet the present moment. It doesn't have to be a big effort. And as the, the, the balancing factor to effort starts to be cultivated the samadhi quality, then we can start to find with the meditation, working with the breath, working with moments of presence, we can start to find that that samadhi, that quality of gatheredness, brings an easefulness to the effort, a rootedness, a blessedness. Because in the samadhi, we start to connect with a, a well Oh, it's not our energy, but energy can arise. Presence can arise. Awareness can become more fuller, a fuller experience, permeate through the body, through the mind, through the heart. We can't cultivate uh, samadhi without some effort, some application. And so when we, we sit, it's very, you know, we get a, you know, we can really see where this, the subtlety of right effort, where we might find ourselves 
overly willful. You know, if we're very goal-orientated in our lives, trying to always get to the next thing, then it's very hard for us to relax in the meditation. We, we, we set ourselves a goal in the meditation, then we might feel disappointed. Or if we're someone that, f- that finds it hard to really get going and we depend on others to guide us through our life, then to actually commit, bring our effort up to commit to being as present as we can in the moment, that's quite challenging because we find the mind will just slip away into daydream, into tomorrow, into yesterday. We're just constantly sliding off the moment. So this, so really exploring this, this holding of a balance of effort, just enough to commit to being present without overdrive into where I feel like I want to go. Just holding, as we hold that balance of efforting in a subtle way, it can become a little bit more effortless actually, as we hold that, then we begin to taste the sense of samadhi. We begin to feel that sense of fullness in the moment, fullness, it's enoughness, enoughness, a sense of pleasure in just the breath and just the breath within the body, the pleasure of, of the life force in the body, feeling life in the body, feeling the breath, feeling the sense of our energy body becoming more integrated. So exploring that, when we feel an imbalance, how to bring a little bit more balance, too tight, how to loosen, too loose, how to be a little bit more committed to can I be a bit more present with how it is and breathe into usually it's hard if we find it hard to be a bit more present because usually it's because it's uncomfortable obviously so can I just breathe a little bit more fully with this discomfort unpleasant feeling So all of these, and as we move from these, the faith, balancing wisdom, gatheredness, balanced by effort, the, the linchpin for all of the, 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 these, two, these aspects of the indriyas is the, the heart of all of them. As we come right down to the heart, the, the middle faculty is this, the mindfulness is moments of just being here, moments of gently, kindly, persistently bringing attentiveness, or another way of saying, receiving an awareness, receiving in the presence of the awareness of the heart, of the mind, body, feeling, perception, the flow, of our experience and bringing attentiveness there, just holding attention moment by moment. That mindfulness has also its own innate balancing capacity, its own innate intelligence, its own innate way of informing Where is there a lack of balance? How do we come into balance? Is it too much faith, not enough discernment? 
too much effort, not enough ease, as in samadhi. So much ease, we're going to sleep, not enough effort. So mindfulness is the, the gateway, it's the, the one, that which knows, that which can know, inform. So this can sound, just laying out aspects of the map, it can sound um, complex when we cognitively talk about these different aspects. The heart of the practice, really what we can trust, where we can really focus the heart, is really this practice of bringing moments of attentiveness to how it is, trusting that and this, going back to this line from from the Buddha, trusting as we apply moments of this path activity, moments of faith to actually pitch up to our sitting mat, to commit to the time, the effort it takes to commit to a, to a, a sitting session, to a retreat, to a lifetime, <laughs> whatever we use as our vehicle for commitment. You know, as we apply energy and then with, with moments of attentiveness, gathering our energy, trusting more and more deeply our capacity for awareness, uh, for refuge in the Buddha, the Buddha, the one that knows the inner knowing presence. As we discern how it is, is it suffering? How do I let go? What am I clinging to? As we discern, is it changing? Is it permanent? As we discern the nature of the Dharma as it's unfolding, and more and more through this application, moment by moment, drip by drip, application of these part, these act, the path activity through the practice of these five injuries, then surely the fruit of this practice arises in, a, in, an, in itself, it, of its own accord. The freedom of heart, the clarity, capacity to see more clearly, not to get so tangled up. Heart that's with faith fully in life, able to respond, to be sensitive to, compassionate with, and yet transcendent of. The dreamlike phenomena of the world. The heart that is unshakable, 
more and more unshakable in the face of whatever is faced in life. So the Buddha said to a, a king that came to him in a sutta called the Raja Sutta from the son Yutanikaya, the Buddha gave a teaching to a great king. And I'll finish this evening's talk, Dhamma talk, with the quote uh, from this, this uh, sutta that the, the Buddha gave to this king uh, when he's uh, teaching him about what is better, the fruits of a worldly king or the fruits of this stream entry or the fruits of the one who realizes the path. Between gaining the four continents and gaining the four qualities, the gaining of the four continents, O king, is not equal to one-sixteenth of the gaining of these qualities, i.e. the qualities of stream entry. And it's from this sutta that this verse from the Dhammapada arose. Soul dominion over the earth, going to heaven, lordship, over all the worlds, the fruits of stream entry of knowing directly the Dhamma excels them all. So may it be so for all of us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.